another episode of Just Jerry Live, Plotting Perspectives in Church Life with Todd Bryant. And Jeff Short. How are you this day, sir? I'm doing pretty well, and I'm sure it's obvious from the joy and and tone of my voice. (laughs) That is exactly right. That's that's the one thing people often talk about is the joy with which you often talk. I'm I'm certain that comes from uh, all of the time that you get to spend over there studying and doing all of your work. Probably so. Okay, so we are doing this book review on the power of his reign. It is subtitled An Easy Introduction to Amillennialism by Jonathan Ammon. We've both been pretty encouraged thus far by his attitude and what seems to be a book written really just to spark conversation. Would you agree? It seems that way, right? Yeah. And we have trudged along and slowly gotten to the point that I thought we would finish in our first episode, and here we are in the third one. So we've covered the introduction and chapter one in the first episode. We covered chapter two in the last episode, and in this episode, we are going to cover chapter three. Chapter three is subtitled, approaching the scripture and ideally we are all getting we are all to get our information straight from scripture without any of our own ideas and and he does talk about that a little bit as he as he goes and he goes into some some point of making again you know we're not we're not talking about false teaching we aren't saying that people are are heretics if they believe something differently than us but he does throw out a couple of terms I thought that he was trying, he was sort of throwing some bait in the water. Like at, he has this next section that's called Scripture Interpret Scripture. But if you back up two paragraphs, the last sentence, he calls prophecy highly symbolic passages. And I just feel like he needs to make the case that something is highly symbolic without just declaring it to be that way. That certainly is loaded language. It is. It's a tactic. And I'm not, listen, I I really think he's written an okay book here, and I don't think he's trying to, you know, bring the hammer down or be mean-spirited or anything, but all of us have a tendency to load our language when we're trying to convince somebody that our position is correct. But the reader of this book, whether he's premillennial or amillennial, needs to let that type of language go, because that's just steering your mind a certain way uh, before he ever gets to his case. Right. Okay, so he says, Scripture interprets Scripture. Is there really anybody that's going to argue with that? (laughs) No. No, I wouldn't think so. And, you know, he's going to make the case for what he believes that to mean, but all of us would think that the Scripture does interpret itself. If you're reading on a subject somewhere in the Bible, you can turn and find something else written on that subject, and you can come to a better understanding of what is meant. And this, you know, that's a question of, you know, what exactly does he mean by interpret? If by that he means that, you know, later revelation, if you're on the timeline of progress of revelation, if he means later revelation clarifies, illuminates prior revelation, then I completely agree with that. If he means that later revelation really reinterprets prior revelation, fundamentally changing it in some way, then I do have a problem with that. Well, and we see we see progressive revelation just in the first book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you have the fall and there is this promise that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. That is the first real gospel message, that proto-evangelion being preached right there. Well, then you find out just a few chapters later that that promise is going to come through Noah. Then just a few chapters later, you find out specifically that promise is going to come through Abraham and his seed, singular, speaking of the Messiah through whom all the world will be blessed. Then you find out it's going to come through Isaac and through Jacob and ultimately through Judah. So at the end of the book of Genesis, we know more about that promise in Genesis 3.15. We actually have narrowed the the Messiah down to coming through one man, Judah, the son of Jacob. And there's actually a prophecy as Jacob is about to die relative to the scepter not departing from Judah. But but none of that changes Genesis 3.15. It just gives us more information to explain it. Now, I I would say that Genesis is sort of a microcosm in that the whole Bible is that way. Absolutely. Yeah, the New Testament is not saying... The Old Testament is not saying what it seems to say. It's not reinterpreting it. It's not as though the Old Testament says the sky is blue and the New Testament says, no, it's not really blue. It's orange. Right. It, that, that's not what's going on. And so I do think he begins to get into some things that both of us probably saw as problematic. And, and uh, to be honest with you, if we weren't talking about eschatology, we were talking about something else. I bet he doesn't use this method. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so he starts talking about the clear before the difficult. Cool. Yeah, he says there at the end of that first paragraph, clear scripture will interpret difficult scripture. Now, of course, again, we've already talked about, you know, what is meant by interpret. But aside from that, the problem with that approach, and it sounds good on the, on the surface, but the problem with, I think, what ultimately he's going to embrace or set out is that, how how are you determining clear and difficult? In other words, there there has to be some objective way of determining what's clear and what's difficult and what, you know, basically what passage is going to rule over another. He gives in his next paragraph, he talks about how he's going to start in the Gospels and then goes on to say, let's see, he says, in this book, we will look at the teaching passages in the Gospels and epistles first and use what we learn from those passages to help us interpret the more difficult passages in the epistles, along with the prophetic, apocalyptic, and symbolic passages. Okay, so the the problem here is he earlier stated that you shouldn't start in Revelation 20, and, and I completely agree with that. But all he does is just back up a little bit, and he's going to start his study of eschatology in the Gospels. So it, it's the same problem. He's just making it in a different way. You've got to start at the beginning, just like what you're talking about with Genesis. You've got to take the progress of Revelation into account. You can't start in the middle, just like you can't start at the end. You have to start at the beginning. So that this definitely is a place where, you know, I disagree with the hermeneutical approach. And I would also say that once when you close the Old Testament, and if you have never read the New Testament, you close the Old Testament. It is clear that Israel is going to be reestablished on their land and the Messiah is going to come and reign from David's throne. That was the promise early on in the, in the Old Testament, and that is the promise when the Old Testament closes. So that is clear. 
Right. And I suppose if we're going to take his approach that he outlines here, let the clear interpret the difficult, that we could take the clear bulk of Scripture, which the Old Testament obviously outweighs the New Testament. It's not more important, but it does outweigh it in the amount of information. And we could say the clear teaching of the Old Testament is that the Messiah will reign from Jerusalem on David's throne over the world. And that is clear. Right. In fact, most amillennialists would admit that that is what the Old Testament teaches if you didn't have the New Testament. Right. So I don't, and my, my point is, I don't think he's being completely consistent by clear. He's migrating by his own language to texts that clearly teach what he believes them to teach. So, you know, that's a problem. Right. And then he says, he, allow the New Testament to interpret the Old Testament. Now, let me say again, on the surface, that sounds really good. I'm not a fan of saying things like, look at the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. I don't like that language. But the reason for that is, is because it's often meant that what the Old Testament seems to clearly say is completely redefined, completely changed by the New Testament, which I would say, as I explained earlier with Genesis, it actually just gives us more information in the same story. Well, and I agree, and I, I think he makes a statement here. This is in this section, what would that be, the first sentence of the third paragraph. He says, we should look at the New Testament as an inspired commentary on the Old Testament. And I disagree with that 100%. The New Testament is not an inspired commentary on the Old Testament. The New Testament is the continued and, in fact, finishing of the revelation began in the Old Testament. And I think those are very different things. I agree. I, I'm glad that you you have that. I actually highlighted that in on my Kindle and put a note in there saying pretty much exactly what you did. The, the New Testament is not reinterpreting everything man believed up to that point. Right. It's simply giving us further information, just like the 50th chapter of Genesis gives us further information on the first chapter. So the New Testament is just giving us further information, but it's not changing the message. He goes on to say, well, it's actually the, the paragraph before the one that you quoted there. He says many of the prophecies and passages about the Messiah were fulfilled in a far different way than was expected. He is right about that. Right. But but he's really saying something that his sentence doesn't say. In other words, nobody expected Jesus to die, but that's because Jesus repeatedly tells them that they misunderstood the Scripture. Right. The Scripture said all along that the Messiah was going to die. So the Messiah didn't fulfill anything in a way that was unprophesied. It's just that the people of Jesus's day had a skewed understanding of the Old Testament. Yeah, that's a good and explanation. Even I, and, you know, Jesus said that all these things must be fulfilled when he was talking about his death. They had to be fulfilled. This was prophesied before. It's what I've been telling you about during my time with you. And that had to be fulfilled. Absolutely. And, and so it's not that. Jesus fulfilled prophecy differently than the Old Testament outline. That's not what right. happened. Jesus fulfilled prophecy in a way that people who didn't understand the scripture, they misunderstood. Absolutely. 
And so his last his last sentence in that par- that second paragraph, the one that you started with, says we should look at the Old Testament passages on eschatology, which, by the way, are hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of passages. Right. Uh, we should look at the Old Testament passage on eschatology through the lens of the New Testament. I've already said I don't like that language. Rather than prioritizing Old Testament revelation on eschatology over what the New Testament teaches, I halfway agree with what he's saying, but I think he and I are going to come to different conclusions here. He is actually giving priority to the New Testament. I would say it's all inspired and it all agrees. I'm not giving priority to anything, but I am looking for further clarity by reading the New Testament. He seems to be saying that he's going to read the New Testament and then go back and read the Old Testament in light of what he's already read in the New Testament. Right. Yeah. As if they, as if they don't agree with one another. But I would say that they actually do agree. Well, see, this gets again to the fundamental issues, and that is what you believe about Scripture in terms of progressive revelation and continuity and discontinuity between the Old and New Testament. So I believe in a continuous revelation. Uh, I believe that it's a progressive revelation from start to finish. That before the foundation of the world. God had the end already planned out and that from beginning to end of the revelation that he's given us, you know, he's told us his story and that it is continuous. I don't believe you give priority to any passage over another passage. Rather, we have to we have to take them together for what they're saying and how that they're, you know, the New Testament is simply filling out the picture that was begun in the Old Testament. So I, I and I think you're right that he again, just like when he said, you know, don't start with Revelation 20, but then he's starting with the Gospels. Well, here he's saying, you know, don't prioritize the Old Testament, but then he's turning around and prioritizing the New Testament. Yeah. And and I, I agree. And then he moves into literal versus symbolic. And I really don't want to spend a lot of time here. Uh, he says one of the things I was taught about scriptures that we should interpret it literally uh, became a, a catchphrase, but I think he would he would say that he he believes he's interpreting it as literally as we do. It's just a different hermeneutic in that he's getting where he gets. You know, this can be an issue that that sometimes can be frustrating because first of all, no one interprets one hundred percent of scriptural in this one hundred percent wooden literal way that he's talking about. No one does that. And so, you know, that, that, that is just a little bit frustrating. He gives the example of the, uh, description of the helicopters and, and what have you. Well, of course, that's what I would consider an example from a more extreme end of dispensationalism type of. That's, that's the guys, that's the guys on TBN. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, to me, talking about literal, a literal interpretation does not mean that you are not recognizing metaphors, that you're not recognizing symbols, that you're not recognizing types and figures and what have you. That's not what that means. But literal means that there is a literal fulfillment in the sense that whatever this symbol is, it must have some correspondence to reality. You know, it, it must sure have some sort of fulfillment that actually satisfies the symbol. Whereas a lot of times when you hear people talking about symbolism and what we sometimes refer to as spiritualizing passages, it does away with the meaning 
of the passage. Like it, it doesn't come to mean anything real and tangible. Yeah, and he goes on to say the book of Revelation was not meant to be a literal description of future events. Well, I, I think the first chapter says that John is going to be given a vision of things that must soon take place. Right. Ch- chapter four says, I'll show you what things must, you know, things that must take place after this. Obviously, there there is some prophecy in the book, and and I would think that he would about chapter twenty one, you know, leave that definition and say that it does mean literal things are going to be fulfilled. Right. Because I don't know anybody that doesn't believe, other than the full preterist that doesn't believe chapter twenty one and twenty two will one day be literally fulfilled. Right. So yeah, I just think he's inconsistent there, and I do think he's pushing the symbols of Revelation a bit too far. Uh, there's certainly a symbolism in the book of Revelation, just like there are symbolism in parables. But they, again, there is a reality behind every one of those things. And generally speaking, John says, I saw something like this. Right. And whatever he sees is something that is, you know, supernatural. I mean, the things that God has prepared to judge this world with are bigger than anything our eyes have ever seen. Jesus says there's a day coming and there's never been a day like it. So right. all of us would explain things that are like something we've never seen before. Right. But that doesn't mean that you can't take it in a more literal way. So he sort of ends this chapter, chapter three, which is as far as we're going to get today. Where do we start? And he again says, if we start with Revelation 20, read it literally, and then press the rest of the Bible to fit that interpretation, we will ultimately arrive at premillennialism. Now, I think that is overly simplistic, but it seems that his goal is to read two or three passages from the Gospels and then press the rest of the Bible to fit that interpretation. And that's the same exact thing. We've got to view the Bible as a whole, not the, I really don't like his approach to, to how he's labeling, you know, premillennialist and then doing the same thing himself, just starting at a different place. Yeah, I agree. And one of the things I, that I do think is good about this chapter, I think it's good that he is, I mean, he's clearly saying what he's going to do. So he's not trying to, he's not trying to hide that fact. He's not trying to disguise it. He's clearly saying how he's going to approach this. He's going to take what he believes, as he says in his last paragraph, what he believes are Jesus' clearest and most important teachings. So in other words, he has selected a set of teachings that he's going to give priority to and is ultimately going to interpret everything to fit into that. Uh, And that's, again, that's just not the view of the Bible that I have as one whole complete revelation that progresses continuously from beginning to end. That's so that that really is going to be the fundamental disagreement. And so when we start talking about different texts, and I think he says he's going to start in Luke 20, when we start talking about different texts, really for the most part it's going to it's going to constantly come down to this that you know how can we take something out of the middle of the Bible and make that the controlling feature that by which we have to make everything else fit to that, which which, like you say, is is what he's saying, you know, that you should not do with Revelation 20, but then just turning around and doing that with some some things from the Gospels. 
Yeah, Luke 20, which, by the way, I preached through several months ago. I've been in Luke for about two years, so I'm sort of anxious to get into chapter 4, but we're going to hold off on on that. I hope that we've been fair uh, with his book, and we probably sound passionate at times. We are passionate, probably no more than uh, our brother that wrote this book is. I, I will say again, I appreciate his attitude. I, I disagree with the way that he's going about interpreting this, but I, I would, I count him a brother. I, I think he's, I think he's serious and I think he's honest and I, I don't think he's purposely trying to misrepresent anything. He just is approaching this subject differently than I am. Right. You got anything else? No, I, I mean, I agree. I think, uh, I appreciate, I appreciate the honesty. You know, like I said, he's, he's clearly showing where he stands. He's clearly showing how that he is approaching this issue, how that he's going to interpret the various passages that he's going to look at as he proceeds through and uh, and I certainly appreciate that sometimes you you read a book on eschatology and it's almost like the the author is trying to conceal you know what their real position is almost like they're trying to you know bring something around you know sneak it in on you and uh, and I appreciate reading someone that just says you know hey this is where I am uh this is how I got there this is how I'm going to you know, this is how I'm going to approach this. And I think that's helpful. And and overall, again, it, you know, it's it's something that, yes, we're, I'm passionate about. But at the same time, I, it, you know, it doesn't make someone that disagrees with me. It doesn't make them a, a false prophet. It doesn't make them an apostate. It doesn't make them unsaved. It doesn't make them demonic. It, all of those kind of things. I certainly hope that we can uh, do better than that and have more uh, respect and reasonability than that. I do agree. Well, in the first sentence of the next par- the next chapter is, what does the Bible say about cremation? That ought to get interesting real quickly. All right, this has been another episode of Just Jerry Live, plotting perspectives in church life with Todd Bryant and Jeff Short. Hope you guys have a great day.